and welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. The knockout rounds have begun in the World Cup. I'm excited to be joined by Jesse Parker Humphreys in Brisbane and from Spain joining us, football journalist Mark Andreas. Mark, thank you so much. We're really, really excited to have you on. Based in Barcelona, I know, but give me a little taste of what the World Cup fever, hopefully, has been like in Spain for this tournament. Well, first of all, thank you for for having me. I mean, it's it's a pleasure to to be here. And uh, the World Cup fever, it has been, I think, uh, a weird environment uh, for many things. Like uh, the most recent thing is uh, we have a TV that has bought the rights to to broadcast the World Cup, but it's only broadcasting one game uh, a day. So technically, if you only have a TV, you can see all the games, but. Uh, that's why, for example, uh, I that's an, an, an inside story. I bought a VPN so I could watch uh, content uh, from other countries. And then on the first day of the World Cup, on the opening match, FIFA decided to put the games available on their website. But there was no info, there was no publicity, there was no marketing saying that they, they, it would happen, but it happened. So... I think in Spain we're enjoying the World Cup, but not fully, because I think that people want the Spanish players to win, but the people don't want the Spanish coach Jorge Vilda to win. <laughs> yeah, I want to. I want to dig in. I want to dig into that a little bit later, because obviously that is the big topic of discussion with Spain. But I know also the tournament started just as there was an election in Spain as well. So that's probably distracted things a little bit, not the best sort of warm up to get people excited. But do you think there's been a, any wider interest in the tournament as a whole? Or is it just when Spain are playing, we're going to watch and we don't really care otherwise? I think it's it's a mix. It's a mix, but I, I do think that uh, Spanish people mainly care uh, about Spain's performance and not as much about other uh, other national teams' performances. And I'm not talking about ours because it's in Australia, New Zealand. No, it's, it, I don't think it has anything to do with time zones. But uh, going on, on Twitter and mainly in my, from my perspective, the engagement I get is I, for example, tweet about uh, a Jamaica-Brazil and I have like one-tenth of the engagement that I have if I tweet something about Spain against Zambia, for example, which is not an amazing game or a, a barnstormer of a game. But I do feel like uh, when we talk about Spain as journalists in, in Twitter, we have, uh, like like I said, maybe not 10 times, but five times, six times more engagement than if we talk about, I don't know, the, the worldie that Marta Cox scored against France, for example. Yeah, yeah. Jesse, I know you had a, a bit of a day off-ish today because you got to go to the fan zone to watch both games, one of the games. So what's it been like in Brisbane watching these first two round of 16 matches? Yeah, so I went to the fan zone for the Spain game. A uh, highlight of that was I did see Ella Toon's boyfriend there. Um, <laughs> bit of celeb spotting. Didn't That was it. I was doing celeb spotting. Um it was the, it was a fun mix. It was mainly Spanish fans, I would say, a couple of Swiss fans. And then I went to the brewery near where I'm staying to watch Japan, Norway, which was definitely they had more of a Saturday night vibe there. I did hear a woman say, why are they always showing the soccer? So it's going Ooh. down well, I think, the round of 16 <laughs> in Brisbane. <laughs> 
We can safely say the people of Brisbane are really enjoying that Saturday night football vibes. They love Down it. Down at the brewery. They love it. Uh, yeah, we've got two games to talk about on today's show. Spain taking on Switzerland in that opening round of 16 match and Japan facing Norway in the other game. So let's get into it after this. Mark, we've got to come to you straight on this one because Spain making light work of a pretty poor Switzerland side winning 5-1. Firstly, after the shambles of the Japan game, a game that I think a lot of people were shocked, disappointed, frustrated about, did you expect a turnaround performance like they delivered today? I I have like mixed feelings about this because uh, I think if it, this wasn't a World Cup, this was a, a like the league. If this Spain Switzerland was like match day twelve of the league, I mean you would expect Spain not maybe not to trash Switzerland but to win comfortably. Because if you compare maybe both elevens, how many Swiss players do you take over the Spanish ones? So I think that Spain has a. a incredibly more talented roster than Switzerland and um, I thought that the, a win from Spain was expected because I mean I think we all watched Group A and Switzerland ended up top of the group um, not by a miracle but not uh, doing amazing work and Spain have been always good in my opinion against uh mediocre to bad teams and all due respect to switzerland but that's how i feel they are because if i'm not mistaken they qualified for the world cup winning a, a like a, on penalties on their last chance so i do feel like uh this was a mediocre opponent for the the round of 16 and they trashed them and uh, the defeat like the thrashing against Japan was uh, unexpected, but I think us as journalists, us as fans, or people from Spain, expected a loss against Japan because against good teams, Spain hasn't done hasn't done good. Also, what seems crazy to say is this is actually a big moment for Spain because they have never got to a quarterfinals of a World Cup before. And I think the talent in the squad, the the depth also and how successful they've been at underage group level in major tournaments distracts us actually from the reality of Spain at a senior World Cup. So there is a, a huge moment to probably sort of recognise in the fact that this is a, a first quarterfinal for this team. But such is the expectations that going into this, you just thought, well, Spain should win this. But given the wobbliness that they've had over the past couple of years, like maybe, maybe we were we were wrong to go into this with such kind of like clear vision because Spain are sort of unpredictable in the in these tournaments. I think there's a, a couple of things there. First of all, it's not even a World Cup thing. This is the first knockout match they've ever won at an international tournament, European Championships or World Cups. They've got this like trick where they got to the semi-finals of a Euros in the 90s, but it was like when you just you just that's where you got to because there were so few teams in it. Um, so to that extent, like that is a good thing but also I feel like as kind of Mark's just touched on there 
given the talent within the Spain squad, it felt inevitable at some point. You know, they were unfortunate probably in 2019 to have to play the US, for example. I'm sure if Spain had drawn an easier team at that tournament, they might have got a, a first tournament win there equally. You know, they played England in the quarterfinals of the Euros. Um, but I think it's been very hard to judge this, this Spanish team because obviously... Things have changed and they haven't changed, I think. They've changed in that there are players missing and they are players who are very important. And I think we saw in the Japan game how important those players were going to be. And things haven't changed in that they have the same manager. And I think the manager has exactly the same faults that he had before. And I think Mark's like totally on point to say that Spain always look good against teams who are going to play like Switzerland are going to play, e.g. who are going to try and sit back and defend, but aren't actually very good at doing it. And then, yes, inevitably, given the talent Spain have, you're going to find moments where you break through. If you're just going to allow Aitana Bonmati to take shots from the... like, And I thought she had a great game and the goals she scored were wonderful, but she did the same routine four fucking times in the first half. And, like, the Switzerland defence didn't get any closer to figuring out what to do about it. Like, all she had to do was, like, twist her ankle a little bit. And they, they were lying down on the floor. Like, I don't know. Like, Aitana's a great player, but I've watched Aitana play all season and there aren't many defences who've done worse than the Swiss defence at dealing with her on the edge of the box. Um, so, yeah, I think Spain did basically exactly what you'd expect them to do in this game. And I think the question marks that the Japan game exposed are still true. I don't think this result, like answers the questions that were posed there but equally yeah I guess they they finally got their win so so good for them yeah I suppose Switzerland don't have the talent to do what Japan did to Spain and at the same time like you say Jesse they don't have the defense to try and just sit there in a low block and get their way to extra time in a penalty shootout also the lack of intensity was just staggering from Switzerland they didn't weren't really willing to press the ball whatsoever it was and like they were in slow-mo in defense. It was bizarre. Like, Genuinely, so much of the defending was slow-mo. I felt like I was watching a game in which, you know, one country knows that they've qualified for the next round of the tournament and so can't be asked to play and aren't going to risk anything. And yet it's knockout football. And I do feel bad Switzerland because, like you said, Mark, they are out of their depth a little bit at this level. Um, they've probably pushed right to their limit to get to a round of 16 and they are a small country. Uh, football is also not their biggest sport. So they are sort of like punching above their weight a little bit. But I think they will be really frustrated with just the way that the game played out and the way it was like this, like Jesse said, the same routine over and over again the same way to concede goals in such a poor way looking at Spain though specifically five changes from Jorge Vilda which part of that is going to be a reaction to what happened in the Japan game Alexi Pateas getting dropped we know she hasn't been 100% and we haven't seen the best of her at this World Cup but were you a little bit surprised with how extreme Vilda went with those changes uh, in part yes um if, uh, in my opinion, if a goalkeeper does not do a major mistake, like like you have screaming at, at them, like, what are you doing? Like a few times, you don't do a goalkeeping change in a World Cup like that. I, I just think that's uh, poor management. I just think that's a bad idea. And I just think that you uh, 
drop the confidence of the starting goalkeeper in this case Mesa and and I I cover Barcelona I know what Catacol uh, does I know she's a really good uh, goalkeeper but you, you you just don't do that and the other change I I want to I want to highlight this is a good one but it's a, but in my opinion it's a finally because all season I've watched Levante and for those who don't know, Levante is the team of Alba Redondo. Alba Redondo has been the highest scorer in the Spanish league this year. And I think she proved in the World Cup, mainly against Zambia, that when she played, she's really good. She can find spaces, she can find headers, she can find anything. And today, I I don't recall what the left wing on, on Switzerland was, but today uh, she had a field day. A field day. It was non-existent, Mark. That's why you can't remember because it, it didn't I mean, exist. But uh, like the first goal, it it's a, it's Aitana who scores, but it comes off after a header from Alba who uh, Alba Redondo who uh, that, that hits the post. The second goal is her winning again, and the third one is her winning again. I mean, she has had a, an amazing game, and I think she should be like uh, a. A starting player. I mean, no doubt. No, I if I want to play this game, I should use this player. No, no, Alvaro Redondo should start from uh, in a, uh, next game in the quarterfinals. And um, and just a, a quick thing. I think Alexis is uh, slowly getting back to shape. It's really difficult to come back a hundred percent. I mean, it's just a, a two months since she returned. Two months and a half since she returned to from the injury. And I think she's just doing a, a, a kind of preseason. Yeah, I just wanted to also touch on what Mark was saying there about using the different players and, and how maybe Alba Redondo should have always been in this team. But something that like kind of struck me when I was watching this game and thinking about the changes Vilda had made was that I think lots of the changes did go some way to dealing with the issues that Spain faced against Japan but what I thought was fascinating was the way that he felt like he had to pick different players to make those solutions and I think it it's quite feels quite revealing about Vilda and the way he wants to coach in that most managers I think would say okay I've got a core group of like 11 12 13 players who I think are my best players like my most talented players and I'm going to ask them to do things to fit my tactical plan. And I feel like Vilda doesn't seem to have the ability to explain to players or ask players to do what it is he wants. He can only swap them for other players who might be more naturally suited. So, for example, we see sort of Redondo excelling because she offers more of a natural width she goes forward a bit more aggressively than someone like Mariona who likes to kind of tuck inside and that's something that she does very efficiently at Barcelona because it kind of works as their game plan equally you see someone like Jenny start as the nine and then she's dropping back and that makes the midfield very congested but that's what Jenny wants to do Olga Carmona she likes to go forward at fullback and then suddenly you're exposed behind both your fullbacks because Onabatia wants to do that but rather than turning around and asking these players for example I don't think it has to matter for everyone because I agree like I think it's amazing that Alba Redondo wasn't starting um and I'm I, I tweeted this but I was like well at least Alba Redondo is winning even if Spain have to win if she is winning as well um <laughs> but you know in other examples I'm just like but why can't you ask for example Olga to sit back 
and let Honor go forward if that's what you want. Because I think Olga has the ability to do that, and I think that would still make your defense ultimately better. But it's like he doesn't quite have the ability to explain to his players how they should fit the game plan. He's just like, okay, I have to bring in Oyana Hernandez and have a more like naturally defensive player there instead, because that's the only way that I'm going to get them to do what I want to do. And for me, that's just like... I don't know if I'm almost giving him too much credit to be thinking about it this deeply because I am just like, maybe he's just out there getting revenge on people. Like, <laughs> no, no, I think Alberadondo uh, getting the Alberadondo getting the captain's armband. The gal has like 15 caps for Spain. <laughs> like there's personal shit going on there as well. But yeah. like, I just think that like tactically, that was something that kind of struck me. Because you all are from the UK, I think that if I put this example, it's going to be very clear. Because I feel like last year in the Euros against England, like Spain played a pretty solid uh, first half. Then those changes came on and Serena Wigman just thrashed Jorge Vilda and Spain. And England just thrashed Spain. And and Spanish people will say, no, it was a foul on the tying. I, I don't care. I don't care. Like England was so far, so superior in the second half to Spain that it wasn't even a contest. And and it's what Jesse says, like, yeah, Jorge Vilda may find like a good squad to put on the field in the starting 11, but when it comes time to maybe um, fix some things, uh, try to use some different tactics to make the, the game more efficient, he is, uh, I'm, in my opinion, without a shadow of a doubt, inept at that. Yeah, I, I was going to say, Jesse, I think you've hit the nail on the head there because using the example Mark said in the, with, with the Euros last year where I think it was Esther Gonzalez he took off and the whole game just collapsed. Um, and this, this rigidness with putting players in certain roles and positions and saying, that's you, rather than saying, can you adapt in the game? It's the in-game management, but then also managing the squad, which if you're already quite unliked by a large percentage of your squad to then not give them the trust in which you say, I need you to play out this role. Can you do it? Et cetera, et cetera. I think it's that combination and making strange decisions at the wrong time. Um, and, you know, players that, like you just mentioned, that people have been crying out for to see like all season, like Redondo. And obviously last summer it was Atenia del Castillo who got like a few, you know, cameos. But it's like those players who fans and pundits are like, those are the ones that can change the game. And Vilda will put them on, but only on his terms, right? And he'll set the narrative. So it's like, yeah, we're giving this person the armband for absolutely no reason. Yeah, we're dropping our captain after the first game and giving someone else the armband. Like, Mark, on that, Jorge Vilda is not even the elephant in the room. He's this, like, big giraffe in the corner. But, like, how are these results, these performances, and him specifically going down in Spain right now? Because in our little English Twitter bubble... People are very anti-Vilda um, and don't want to see him there. And obviously, part like that, there are players who aren't there because of that. We've spoken about this on this show before. But how are these things going down in Spain right now? Are people very much Vilda out? Are people saying we trust the coach to, to try and deliver success at this tournament? What is happening? Well, I think in in our uh, Twitter bubble in Spain's Twitter bubble, I think there's uh, three points of views. There's one point of view, which is go Spain, go coach. We are with you all the way. 
And if uh, you lose against Japan, it's, oh, we have to figure it out. It's okay. It doesn't matter. And you win against Switzerland, it's just, yeah, we're top of the world. We're favorites to win the World Cup. Then there's the people which uh, think that uh, it's a shame that Bill is coaching because these players are really good. I want to support the players, but I don't want to support the coach. And then uh, the third opinion is a team-based, a club-based opinion. For example, uh, today it was Misa Rodriguez, a goalkeeper for Real Madrid, who suffered uh, the Bilde effect, if you can say that. (laughs) And uh, fans of the game were uh, angry at the coach. Uh, Me me personally, I'm angry at at Bilde for doing this change. But there are, for example, Barcelona fans that are happy this change happened. Because uh, and and seeing Misa like struggle with the, with this decision, because basically Madrid fans uh, called uh, chanted at Panos that you weren't going to you were young going to the World Cup, you aren't going. Uh, when all the the controversy was happening back in the day, so like Barcelona fans want to take out uh, a, a revenge against Misa because Madrid fans called out Panos uh, like months ago. So these are the the three op- options like. Anti, Anti-Wilda, uh, pro-Wilda and pro-Spain, and people who are just like, I'm just a club uh, a club person, and I will hate Wilda in Spain, but if it goes in favor of my club, I will support anyone. Yeah, I mean, I suppose therein lies the whole problem as well with some of the squad, is that those club factions can then overflow onto the pitch. Yeah. Moving forward, though, a quarterfinal lined up with either Netherlands or South Africa, we know in this World Cup we can't make any bold predictions. A lot of people would think, oh, it's likely Netherlands to go through. But genuinely, who the fuck knows in this World Cup? <laughs> for either of those teams and for Spain moving forward, do you think there's a chance that they can go all the way and win this tournament? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Is there a chance? Yeah. It will happen. It's probably it will happen. I don't think so. Because, I mean, this coach has proven time and time again he's not ready for the big stage. This player have won uh, the Champions League this year, basically. And not all of them, because some of them are home. Well, training at Barcelona and uh, in the preseason. But uh, they have won the Champions League. They have gone far in other World Cups. For example, uh, Salma Parayuelo has, is, is a U20 champion. It's a U20 world champion with Spain. So yeah, they can go all the way. I think so, but I don't think it's going to happen. Now, will the Netherlands uh, or South Africa take them out? I don't know. I think it can happen. Uh, preferably if the Netherlands go through uh, and the swimming cup era continues on. <laughs> and, um, Iconic. <laughs> it's, it's a weird vibe because you think they can do it. Because they have the talent to do it, but they don't have the coach to do it. Well, on that, Mark, two things. Do you think the fact that he gets through to a court final at least means, you know, we know he got last, a new contract last summer, but do you think that means he stays even with all this pressure and, and the people that didn't go? I mean, the, the new contract he got last summer, he got before the Euros. Yeah. So I have no doubt. And just just a quick update. Uh, Bilda has a position of power in the in the Spanish Federation which he can be asked to elect a new president. And uh, last election, he voted for the president and was a deciding vote for the current president. 
And also, if you want to ask uh, someone better to do build this job, you have to ask like the technical director. Do you know who the technical director in Spain is? Yeah, it's his um, father. No, it's Jorge Villa. Uh, is it, doesn't he have a relative? Doesn't he have a relative yeah, on the board? Though? He has a relative on the board, but uh, it's not like uh, women's football related. But yeah, um, right. Like those ads you see, like, do you want to be your own boss? Jorge Vilda is his own boss. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the job we all dream of. And where is it? Am I right in saying it is his father-in-law involved somewhere? No, it's, somewhere? it's just his father. It's- Oh, it's his father, not his yeah, father-in-law, yeah. sorry. And then the other thing I wanted to ask was the Mappy, the Patri, the, 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 those that didn't make it crew. We've seen them all over English Twitter with people saying, you know, they must be licking their lips at some of these, um, like especially the Japan game. But what's the atmosphere like with them back home and with them back in training now in Barcelona? The atmosphere is really quiet because uh, I know that uh, Patri, for example, has done like a couple of, public appearances with uh, marketing agents and specifically uh, journalists were asked to not say anything about the the World Cup, to not ask anything about the World Cup. So it's kind of a mute in that, in that sense. And now Barcelona is yet not giving yet any interviews to the players, to, to the Spanish, to the Catalan media. So we're kind of waiting in the shadows uh, for uh, the time to be able to ask them and talk to them and see them in action. But even with the 5-1 win, for example, uh, Tere Abelleira is having a, a really good World Cup, I think. But all due respect, she's no Patri. <laughs> but I think it's more egregious the the loss of Mapi Mapi Leon because you have seen Irene Paredes play with Ivana. You have seen play with Rocío. And now you simply play with Laia Codina. And you are not looking at a strong, like solid, strong defense. Because even today, Switzerland had one opportunity, which they shouldn't have had. And if they didn't have more, because Switzerland played really poorly. But I do not think this is a strong defense in Spain's part. Football governance, eh? Don't you just bloody love it. Um, Mark, thank you so much for joining us on Counterpressed. I hope we're going to speak to you again. Let's see what happens in that next game. The Spanish drama is very fun to follow for us. I I imagine it might be quite stressful to follow (laughs) as a journalist, but I hope you enjoy the rest tournament if we don't see you. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on and chatting to us. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Jesse, let's talk about that other knockout game. We're going to be doing loads of content during the knockout rounds because we're going to be releasing a pod after every day in which we've got a knockout game. So it's going to be busy, busy, busy. Becky has just literally touched down in Australia. I'm going to be heading there on Tuesday. So we're going to be reuniting in Sydney. But let's talk about that other game that took place today between Japan and Norway. Japan being Norway 3-1. I think this is one that we definitely expected. I mean, these were two probably of the most predictable knockout games, given how all four teams have been playing. But it was another frustrating game in which you have the most sort of apathetic Norway performance with a few people sort of trying every now and again um, and they're just sitting in this low block and then the sort of like beauty and elegance and just like balletic 
you know, extravaganza that is uh, Japan right now. And it was so funny to see these sort of like contrasting styles and approaches and just intensities in this game. Yeah, I want to start off by saying what I think Norway did well. And I do think the way they set up tactically was on paper a good idea. So bringing Ingrid Engen back into the side, having her sit as the singular pivot when they were in possession, but when they were out of possession, having her drop to be the central defender in a back three so they could match up 5v5 against Japan's front five, which we've seen be super, super deadly. It obviously didn't look so good when she then accidentally kicked the ball into her own net. I do think... (laughs) Listen, it wasn't the worst own goal we saw today. No, you know? and, or, or this and tournament either. Ingrid Engen should write a check to Laia Kadena because I don't think we'll see a worse own goal than Laia Kadena's. Uh, unfortunately, Ingrid Engen's mattered a bit more. But I did like the way Norway thought about approaching this. And I thought for long portions of the game... They looked very solid in the way they wanted to set up. And actually, if it wasn't kind of for those two individual errors, e.g. the Engenon goal and then obviously Wilderboer, Risa, basically passing the ball to Risa Shimizu, I think Norway could have frustrated Japan for a lot longer. And there were some clever moments from Japan, and we know the vision they've got. But, you know, however many clever passes Yui Hasegawa tried to pull off to Junendo in that really really like nice corridor they were looking for they weren't actually coming off and maybe the credit to japan is they didn't flap they kept on going they kept on playing their game plan and they did force those errors over time the frustrating thing i think for norway was i felt like they had a very good defensive setup it was just like they hadn't thought about how they wanted to transition it to an attacking setup and we saw from guru Raiten's fantastic gorgeous beautiful header um that they did have aerial threat. And actually at the end of the game, when they started going for it, we saw it again, um, that they looked very good in the penalty area. They basically just needed to get the ball to Caroline Graham Hansen more. And actually that kind of sums up Norway's World Cup, probably. They just needed to get the ball to Caroline Graham Hansen more. Yeah, they just needed to use the width a bit more and actually get some good deliveries into the box. Because like you say, with Wrighton and with uh, with that chance, with that Yamashita amazing save, that's what created the best opportunities. I think for me, the way I, the only way I saw it playing out into Norway's hands was if they could be resilient enough in, in their setup, in their defensive setup and squeeze their way to some kind of extra time penalty shootout scenario and like nick a, a cheeky late goal or win on pens. I didn't see any other route out for them just because they offered so little going forward. And, and that was probably maybe Hegarese's tactical plan going into it because she knew how much they've struggled going forward. So actually, if we try and play to our strength defensively, pack our midfield, uh, drop Freedom Arnhem, which was a a big decision to make, um, and then just try and use the width with Barisa and Grant Hansen, maybe we'll pull something off. I just think what is so impressive is the way that Japan do just consistently, in a very relaxed and unpanicked way, continue to grind. And they've done it in, in very different ways throughout the tournament, whether it's the first two games of the group stage where they had a lot of the ball and we saw them try and play quickly with the ball or the Spain game where they picked off and played quick transition ball 
or today where they actually had to be much slower in possession, which is probably why they struggled a bit more, but still make it work. And I think um, Michael Cox put it like perfectly in his tweet after the game saying, you know, the way that they play is like a club side who've been playing together for, you know, years, the understandings there. But then at the same time, and this potentially could have happened today, you feel like, the thing that's going to knock them out and stop them maybe winning this whole thing is going to be a really frustrating corner or a ball that comes in and they just take their their eye off the ball for a minute and, you know, that's their World Cup over. So they just do look so in tune with each other that it's hard to see many teams getting anywhere near what they're doing right now. Though what I will say for Japan, which will be very interesting given that both the teams they can come up against next probably fit this profile perfectly is they've either played teams who are going to sit back and going to try and defend or they've played a team who really wants to have the ball and we haven't seen them yet play a team who's going to be able to do a bit of both and I think the US and Sweden are both teams who are comfortable in doing a bit of both um that doesn't mean like that Japan will go out at the quarterfinals. I do think they are the most tactically interesting and tactically calm, I think, crucially, in terms of, yeah, that club side thing of being like, we know what we're going to do and we think if we do this enough, we will eventually break you down and we will force you into an error or we will find that little gap and get a ball through. But equally, it will definitely be interesting to see how do they deal with basically having to do a little bit of both of those styles. It's not just that you've got the ball and you've got to go forward and it's not just that you've got to sit back because in some ways Norway were trying to play Japan at their own game, right? Like having this very organised 5-4-1 system out of possession and just wait for the opportunity maybe to go forward. That's basically how they excelled against Spain Um, and it just didn't happen for Norway here in terms of they didn't have that efficiency on the transition. They they couldn't find those moments. They didn't even really look like they wanted to find those moments, which is an ongoing problem with Norway as an attacking team. Um, I saw someone tweet that by the time the next Euros comes around, it will be 10 years since Arda Hegerberg scored a goal at an international tournament. And obviously she skipped uh, the 2019 World Cup, but that's still pretty astounding given that she's, you know, played the 2022 Euros and the 2023 World Cup. So, yeah, I think Japan looked great. I think they did the they played in exactly the way that we thought they would play, given how they looked in the group stage. And, and once again, it worked out for them. And I think still their best and most impressive result was the Spain game because it showed that they could play in a different way. And if they are to go far in this tournament, that ability to be chameleonic in the way that they set up and in the way they play, that's going to be crucial. Um, there's nothing that we've seen so far to suggest they can't do that. Do you think as well, like this this implication that Japan are going to struggle if they do face a team like USA, Sweden, when it comes to those physical battles is, is fair? Because I think certainly we see Sweden excel when it comes to set pieces and maybe we haven't seen Japan test enough, but it is quite easy to fall into those traps with, a, with some of these teams. I'm So I saw people saying this like, about Norway's like aerial ability and I'm not super convinced by this just because I actually think one of the most impressive things Japan has done at this World Cup even though 
maybe games haven't hinged on it is their attacking corners. I think they've been very, very clever in how they've set up and chosen to attack corners and they've created a lot of good opportunities off them. And actually, early on in the game against Norway, that's how I thought they were most likely to score. I guess my point would be, though, is that I think it's a bit lazy, potentially, to suggest that that's purely on physicality. I think what I'm saying is that because they look so good at attacking corners, that, yeah, they might be weak defending corners but I wouldn't want to necessarily say that's just like a physicality thing I'm like yeah they might struggle against Sweden because Sweden have like beasted every team so far at corners yeah, because exactly. they've got this incredible combination of Anderson and Elishter. um so yeah I, I do think maybe defending the box is their weakness I just don't know whether I would specifically tie that to like the physicality of the team. I think that just might be where they're tactically not as good as maybe they are in other parts of the pitch. I think they've definitely shown like in this tournament so far that when they're on the ball, there is absolutely no question about how they can hold up play and how they are like a physical team. I think it's defensively where I think that they do lack that like physical robustness that other teams are excelling in, especially traditionally the USA, but especially Sweden right now from set pieces. I think that's what's interesting about this Japan side is like they've got so many confident, balanced, like versatile ball players who also are very strong when it comes to like riding a challenge um, or like, you know, blasting out like, two or three people off them when they've got the ball. But I think it's defensively, I'm like, right, how are you how are you commanding that box that gets a little bit chaotic, especially with a Sweden when they're just gonna like plant a whole lot of bodies in there. I think that's the like the one weakness if I can look at a very good balanced Japan side where I'm like, okay, if I'm playing them, that's probably where I'm gonna target them. Yeah, and as I said, I think I think that's fair. I think if we look at where they conceded chances, and really tonight's the only example we have of them conceding chances because against Spain they did very well to sort of limit them to, to low-value shots on the edge of the area and Costa Rica and Zambia didn't really create anything against them. Um, but equally, I would say to that extent, maybe if you're the Japanese technical team, you watch tonight's game and you say, okay, we clearly need to drill corners. Um, I think I'm just like... I think I'm just wary of like sometimes the tropes that become part of our narrative. Around, oh, 100%. For yeah. example, age, Asian sides. And I'm like, it, I just don't know if it's actually about physicality as opposed to being like maybe they're just not as good tactically at this kind of stuff as as they maybe their setup isn't as good um so it'll be it'll definitely be interesting to see uh yeah i think sweden have shown sweden versus tramway fascinating because sweden definitely are the best set piece team at the tournament i would say um potentially other than england who i do think are very good at set pieces they just haven't scored from many of them yet um but equally, the U.S. would be a fascinating matchup as well, you know, to get basically to watch the U.S. have to play every World Cup final they've ever played on <laughs> to try and get to the final would be would be fun. Uh, I don't know. It, could it work? Well, they played the Netherlands already. Norway have gone home, so they can't play Norway. But, you know, they've played Japan twice. China have gone home as well. So they can't do all of them. But 
the Netherlands followed by Japan would be quite fun. Yeah, USA's games, I think, do all just feel like a World Cup final now, regardless of the opponent. And I think you're right. I think, like, you can so easily fall into those stereotypes around, like, traditionally smaller nations and teams. Um, and I think we definitely have to be careful about that. Um, and you know what I'm like. I think everyone defends really badly anyway. So mm. <laughs> regardless of physicality, most teams, and especially Switzerland. Blue doesn't care if you're six foot or five foot. She thinks you're crap at defending and she's genuinely (laughs) genuinely but I think it's been really interesting to watch someone like Kumagai who has come off pretty poor season um and uh you know one of the worst defensive performances I've ever seen her at the Emirates (laughs) genuinely coming off a pretty poor season she's 32 now like she's seen a lot of shit she's done her time but you know at the peak of her powers, she was one of the best centre backs in the world. And I've been really impressed to see this kind of glow up from her in the World Cup. And I think it's good that they're playing a back three because it gives them a bit more um sort of protection. But at the same time, if I'm a opposition, I'm gonna be targeting Saki Kumagai because I've seen her play this season and I think that is the player who I think you can rattle you can force some mistakes um and I think there are I think maybe they've got off the hook a little bit in this tournament so far with the teams that they've played in the way that those teams have played them yeah I think that's potentially true and yeah I, I would say I don't think any of the f- I mean Spain are the obvious team where you're like wow, they're really good at attacking. And actually, maybe this should be the most instructive thing is, I I tweeted this earlier, but I'm like, the difference between Switzerland's performance against Spain and Japan's performance, in my opinion, is how organised Japan's press was and how effective it was at channelling Spanish attackers into dead ends, into areas where they just couldn't find space, where they were super congested, or the bounds of the pitch ended, and they couldn't go anywhere else. And Switzerland just had no ability to do this. They were just sort of, it was a half-hearted press, they were sitting off, there were so many gaps, it was really easy for Spain to play through, and then the actual back line was a comedy of errors. So if we accept that Norway actually aren't that good an attacking team either, based on their group stage, I actually think maybe the Spain game is what we should look to for Japan is that realistically it's they're they're looking to play in a way that means that you don't have to defend that much whether that's because they're good or bad again I, I would almost say we don't really know because the the period of time Norway looked really good was the last 10 minutes of a game where they were 3-1 down and had taken off defenders to put on Ada Hegerberg, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, Norway looked good. They were, like, playing in a way that that made them go all for it. Um, if you were looking at a, a more equal game rather than a game where one team was, like, having to throw the kitchen sink at it, I think what you would say is that Japan's out-of-possession shape has been so impressive and so organised that it almost doesn't matter how they defend because really what they're focused on is the whole team limiting their opposition's quality of chances. And to the extent that we saw Spain score five against Switzerland, and I can't remember the exact numbers, they scored against Zambia and Costa Rica, but similar numbers there, but zero against Japan, you'd have to say, well, it looks like Japan are pretty good at doing that. Yeah, we'll be interesting to see what happens to Japan moving forward because certainly everyone is very hot on them. We all love watching them play and they seem like the best team and now 
favourites for the World Cup. So it will be, yeah, an interesting one to watch to see if they can cling on to these good vibes and it can take them all the way. Jesse, good to see you. See you IRL soon. We'll obviously be back tomorrow chatting about two massive games. Netherlands taking on South Africa first before Sweden, USA, a battle of old rivals. I cannot wait. So see you then, Jesse. I'm buzzing. I can't wait. I will look forward to us breaking down whatever the hell happens in that game because I sure as shit have no clue. (laughs) It's going to be a great one. See you tomorrow, guys.